0: The Peter Schiff Show. Let's get straight to the point. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, that's yahoofinance.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, Good evening, everybody. I was hoping that you'd all get to see my wrinkled face in 4K uh, reception. We actually got the brand new camera delivered this morning. uh, But unfortunately, it came with a, uh, I guess, a plug that was no longer configured with our system. So we have to get some kind of new adapter to enable us to install the 4K uh, camera, which unfortunately they probably don't have in an electronic store in Puerto Rico. We're going to have to order it. And it just so happens my technician is leaving on vacation, uh, I think, tomorrow. So he's not going to be around until, I think, the beginning of next month. So we're going to have to put up with the 1080 uh, reception for a little bit longer than I I thought. Now, before I get into this evening's podcast, there's a couple of little announcements that I want to make. One is I'm going to start doing the Q&As again. I wasn't doing those when I was on. Uh, On my uh, vacation, traveling around, it would have just been too hectic. But now that I'm back on the job, I'm going to start doing those. I try to do them once a week. And this is for the premium subscribers who – one of the main benefits of of the shift premium used to be that you could get the podcast early because they would always get up on the premium. Uh, The evening I reported them, but everybody else who wasn't paying was waiting – Till the following day, and then I started doing these live podcasts where everybody can watch and get video live. Whether you don't have to pay anything, but you do have to, you know, put up with the commercials. Uh, but so that was something that the premium members lost. So I added another service for the premium subscribers. In addition to uh, having the commercials edited out, they also get to participate in these exclusive Q and As where I just field questions uh, for an hour or more. Uh, from uh, the premium members. So I'm going to be doing the first Q&A since my vacation on the next podcast, which is probably going to be on Sunday night. And so if you're not currently a Shift Premium member, then uh, you should sign up. You go to shiftradio.com slash premium to become a, a, a member. It's only five bucks a month. It's not like it's a major expense. And if you don't like it, well, you 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 can cancel. Oh, and by the way, you know, I, I like these Sunday uh, podcasts, but I like football more, I think. So, uh, and for those of you who like to watch my podcast, but who also like to watch football when the football season starts, I'm going to stop doing the Sunday night podcast. So I'm not really sure. I might start doing them Friday after the close instead of instead of uh, Sunday, because I know on Saturday you got college football. So I, I don't want to be competing with football. In fact, I want to watch some of these games myself rather than, uh, you know, have to do these podcasts. But right now, I think, you know, I still got a couple more Sundays left where I could do because I found that I got pretty good viewership on Sunday nights, but, you know, that might go down if I start competing uh, uh, with football. Now, the other thing I wanted to announce, you know, I've, I've still got my lawsuit with 60 Minutes Australia, and a lot of people that watch the podcast have come up with some very good affidavits. Uh, and I want to thank them for that. But I talked to my lawyers actually just before, um, you know, I, I, I started to do this podcast. But one thing they still want to get is they want people that watched the 60-minute broadcast. And they asked me, you know, who do you know that watched it? I said, I don't know. A lot of people watched it. I'm not really sure, you know. But they want people who actually saw the broadcast. You know, obviously, too, you could have watched it on YouTube, but it's even better if you saw it live, right? If you happen to live in Australia and, you know, you watched it on on, uh, Channel 9. But having seen it on YouTube still counts, right, if you watched it. And, you know, especially if it caused you to have some concerns initially. Oh, my God, I had no idea he was such a crook or whatever. You know, if it made you maybe question, uh, you know, what you had thought about me initially just people who watched it. And it's obvious. I mean, people would watch it and get a bad impression. I mean, they falsely accused me of like being, you know, this massive uh, organized criminal, right? Like the godfather of banking. Uh, And so it it stands to reason that people would have, you know, watched this and had a reaction, but apparently, you know, you you actually have to have proof. It it just can't go on. Well, obviously. Uh, So I need some people who saw the video and yeah, I mean, Looked at those allegations, and whoa, this could be serious. It doesn't mean that you have to have uh, believed it. I mean, obviously, some people could see that it was obviously a hatchet job. But meet people who actually saw it, and especially if you know other people who saw it too, who you know maybe had an even worse opinion than you did. Oh yeah, a buddy of mine saw it, and he said, "How could you, you know?" Or especially if you had an account, and someone said, "Look, your stockbroker is a criminal. How could you be working with this guy?" Right? Didn't you see what he was? Didn't you see what he's doing? right? Just anything like that. So if you, if you, and all you have to do is come up with an affidavit, you're not going to have to go to Australia and testify. We're just putting in affidavits in support of the fact that the 60 minutes broadcast harmed my reputation, that people watched it and they, you know, their opinion of me might've been altered as, as a result. And also it's that I had a good reputation. So you'd be saying, Hey, Mr. Schiff had a good reputation for honesty and integrity. And this, you know, cast some doubt on on that reputation. So if you want to fill out one of these affidavits, it won't take much of your time. Uh and we probably won't use all of them. In fact, if I get a lot of people, well, you know, we'll have to pick a few. We don't need that many, I guess. But send the email and do it quickly because I got to get, you know, I got a deadline coming up. <laughs> so you want to email law L A W at shiftradio.com and just, you know, give me a little bit of a of description of who you are, where you saw it, you know, what kind of so we can kind of pick out uh, the people that are going to be the best, uh, you know, to fill out affidavit. Remember, I already won my trial. Not that you would know that because the media doesn't cover this. But yes, I won on defamation. The whole thing is about damages at this point. How much money does 60 Minutes have to pay me? What, 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 how many? You know, unfortunately, it's not how many zeros on the check. I'm not going to be able to get a lot of money. I'm not even doing this about the money. I mean, I lost so much money that the, the check that they're going to write me is going to pale in comparison to what I lost. Fortunately, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I got more, but I'm doing this just for vindication. I just want to clear my name as best I can all around the world after having been dragged through the mud uh, so publicly and so falsely and maliciously uh, by the media. This is all about vindication. And so these um, affidavits that you guys fill out will help me, you know, exact. Uh, a bit of revenge <laughs> against the people who uh who wrong we. Anyway, <clears> they <throat> get into the meat of this podcast. So the big news on the day, and you know, it's not even really big news as far as I'm concerned, but the markets, you know, they, they still don't get this. We got the release of the Federal Open Market Committee, F O M C their Minutes, right? This is what the governors were discussing prior to. Uh, their last rate hike, right? So we know what they did. And now we get to see their private discussions that led up to that decision. And what spooked the markets was that these minutes uh, reflected that FOMC members were more concerned about an upward surprise in inflation than they had publicly may be uh, admitted to. And although this, obviously, these deliberations are, are public as well. But what they had said so far, the Fed seemed more confident that inflation was coming down, that they had won. In fact, you know, the Fed was still signaling that rates would be cut as early as next year, right? They ruled out this year, but there's not that much left of this year. They talked about cutting rates next year. And they also talked about cutting rates long before inflation goes back to 2%. They didn't just say we're going to cut rates before inflation is 2%. Powell specifically said long before. So, I mean, long time, right? And so that would mean that, okay, they're going to start cutting rates pretty soon next year, right? So they must be pretty confident that inflation is coming down, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't be cutting rates because they, they're telling us how, how bad inflation is and how important it is to get it back down. To, uh, to 2%. So clearly, they're not going to cut rates unless they have high confidence that inflation is coming down. Well, in these minutes, uh, what was revealed was that they're worried about an upside surprise, which they should be. I mean, I've been pointing out on this podcast that take your eyes off the rear view mirror and look at everything that's happening in, in the windshield. Forget about the fact that the CPI has gone down from nine to three. We're now going back up. Right, whether we get up to 9 or not, I mean it is even immaterial. I think ultimately we're going above 9, but just going back up to 4 or 5, you know, undo undoes much of what the Fed claims to have accomplished, but more importantly, if inflation is going to stick around longer than the Fed thought, then the Fed is going to have to reassess its idea that it can start cutting rates next year. In fact, the Fed might actually have to raise rates more than they thought. In other words, it might not be just one more rate hike. Maybe the Fed's got to go up to 6%. Maybe they got to go higher than that. This all uh, scared the markets, which is why you saw the sell-off. Uh, the NASDAQ was down about 1%. That was the biggest decliner on the day. And, you know, The NASDAQ has actually lost quite a bit of ground since I did a podcast well, a week or two ago where I I questioned whether or not that bubble had popped, and you know it's looking more and more like the answer to that question is yes, uh, because the technical picture for the Nasdaq has deteriorated uh, since that podcast. the The overall stock market, the Dow, you know, was down about a half a percent, so not as much. Gold reacted uh, as you would expect negatively to that number. Gold dropped about ten bucks, or a little bit more as i am recording this podcast right now i think we're down another buck or so or two whatever we're below 1900 again we're just above uh 1890 so i think this is really the buy area i mean i think you know gold gets down a little bit below 1900 that's where the support's been a little bit above 2000 is the resistance most of the trading has been between about 1920 1930 and 1970 so i think we're still in this range, and I don't believe that these minutes are going to cause a breakdown in the price of gold. The dollar rose a bit uh, as a result of this, but bond yields continue to rise. In fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit more about that uh, on the other side of this commercial break. So stick around. We'll be right back. All right, I'm talking about the continued backup in bond yields, and I've been talking about this. Again, you've been watching this podcast. I've been hammering home the point that bond yields are going up, and they continue to go up. In fact, we're almost at the high point of this tightening cycle. You know, we had a pullback in yields, uh, but we've almost recovered that entire uh, pullback. Uh, The five-year treasury is now at 4.4, 4.4, just above 4.4%, right? This is right below uh, its high. The 10-year is at 4.258. That's where it closed. And the 30-year at 4.361. These are the highs, again, for this uh, this move, uh, or just below them since the Fed began hiking rates. Uh, and, and so this is a big deal. The markets haven't even... You know, begun to price this in. Because the stock market is a lot higher than it was the last time yields were this high. And one of the reasons that the stock market went up is because yields came down. That helped push the market up. But the market hasn't surrendered much of those gains, even though bonds have lost pretty much all of their gains. And they're about to make new lows, which means these bond yields are going to make new highs. Also, that means mortgage rates, which now I think are just about seven and a half. I was calling for 8% mortgages before the end of the year, and I'm still relatively confident that that's going to be the case. In fact, it's not going to be 8%. I think we'll have an eight handle, but I think the actual mortgage rate will be eight point something. And again, that's not even the top. I I pointed out that in 1981, the top was 18 and a half. So there is a precedent for mortgage rates of close to 20% at a time when the United States was fiscally in much better shape than it is now i mean rates should be higher now than they were in 1981 we have a lot less debt now than we had back then so we were a lot more creditworthy and you know we we had a greater ability to control inflation and we ended up controlling inflation at least we brought the rates down considerably from where they were in 1981 because the fed had a lot more firepower than it does now Uh, And, you know, the government wasn't in the fiscal uh, condition that it was in. And remember, we had big tax hikes, too, in the 1980s. We raised Social Security taxes, you know, significantly. The payroll tax went way up. Uh, Who's talking about raising Social Security taxes? No. I mean, they're talking about maybe raising them on the super rich, but they're not even going to get that through. So there's the tax hikes can't make it through Congress. Nobody wants to cut spending. So. The fiscal situation that we're in is far more precarious than it was back then. So rates should be higher. And in fact, adding uh, insult to injury today, you know, the Atlanta Fed, right? While we got the minutes of the FOMC, we got the Atlanta Fed GDP now. And I haven't been talking about the Atlanta Fed uh, recently, but this is really one uh, to scratch your head. But so they upwardly revised their predictions for Q3 GDP to 5.8%. Now, of course, that's an annualized number, but still 5.8%. I can't even remember the last time we had a 5.8% quarter, right? Nobody was expecting anything like that, including me, right? All these people that are, you know, looking for the Fed to stop hiking or start cutting or looking for even a soft landing, 5.8%, that isn't landing at all. That's the plane is still up there in in the air, right? I mean, you you're not landing at 5.8 percent. You're not even close to the runway. Now, a lot of people would think, well, if the economy is this strong, well, the Fed can't cut. In fact, the Fed has to hike. In fact, we're going to have more inflation because you still have all these Keynesians out there that think that inflation is a byproduct of economic growth. And if we're going to have this booming economy, well, then we're going to have you know, the trade-off of higher inflation. In fact, all the coverage I'm watching on financial television is about this, that, oh, you know, the Fed the Fed is not, what the Fed is doing isn't working because they want to slow the economy, and it's not happening. You know, the rate hikes are there to slow the economy as if slowing the economy is what's going to bring down inflation. It's not. The truth is, if they really want to bring down inflation, the consequence is going to be that the economy weakens. It has to because we have a bubble economy that's based on debt. Everybody is loaded up with debt and it's all based on excess consumption, right? The American economy is about spending more than you earn. I mean, we have elevated that to an art form. Nobody does that better than Americans. You know, I remember watching this, I forget what show it was, uh, but they were you know, kind of talking about the US economy and our trade deficits. And they were like, Americans are uniquely uh, qualified to go shopping, right? We have bigger cars, so we have more room to fill up our trunks uh, with stuff that we buy. I mean, I was laughing hysterically about this, but it was like we had a comparative advantage in shopping. That's why we do the shopping for the world, as if like, you know, (laughs) this is some difficult task. How did we draw that straw that we get to shop, right? That's the easy part. The hard part is making all the stuff, is is working in the factories. That's the hard part. Anybody could go to a store, and bring stuff home. In fact, people are going to stores now. They're not even paying, right? Shoplifting uh, is running rampant, right? I mean, should we applaud these people? I mean, right? Isn't is this isn't this growing the economy? I mean, they they're, they're they're really out there, right? They're shopping. They're not they're not spending, but they're still getting stuff, right? And that stuff has to be uh, replaced. But people think that okay, well, if if the economy uh, is 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 growing, that's going to cause the inflation. No. To, but to fight inflation, the only way you're going to fight inflation is to reduce the spending, reduce the demand. You're not trying to weaken the economy. You're trying to stop the spending. So, what the Fed doesn't want to do, they don't want to put people out of work. That's nonsense. That's the last thing. If you're trying to fight inflation, the last thing you want to do is to have people stop working. Why? Because people working is adding productivity. Remember, it's about too much money chasing too few goods. So the more people that are working, the more goods that they are producing. So we want people to work. We just don't want them to spend. We want them to take what they earn and save it, right? That's how you bring down inflation. You get more production and you get less consumption. So now you get more goods and less money, right? And you wanna have fiscal responsibility. You want the government to cut back on its spending so that demand goes down. You don't want the government to give people money to go out and buy stuff. And one of the things you're supposed to be accomplishing with your rate hikes is that consumers don't borrow anymore because it's too expensive. So you want to see credit card debt coming down, right? You want to see people paying off their HELOCs because they're too expensive, right? So it's all about more savings and less spending, and that's how we bring down inflation. Well, the Fed is not accomplishing that at all because the rate hikes have been too little to accomplish that. And they've had no help from the government because the government is spending and borrowing, uh, you know, like there's no tomorrow. And it doesn't care that the cost to borrow has gone up because it's just borrowing that because the government doesn't care about the deficit. So if interest on the national debt goes up, the politicians in Washington couldn't care less Because whatever extra money they need to pay the higher interest, well, they just borrow that too with the rest of it. So nobody in Washington has been discouraged from spending because interest rates are higher and the deficits are bigger. They just borrow it anyway. So nothing the Fed has done has been enough. The Fed needs much bigger rate hikes than it's already had in order to affect the changes that need to take place at the federal level, at the household level, to bring down spending and bring up savings, which is the only thing that is going to reduce uh, the future inflation. But getting back to this false idea that it is uh, economic growth that is going to drive uh, uh, inflation and that the Fed is, is, is losing on its attempts to weaken the economy and, and, and increase unemployment, this was a bad number. The fact that the Atlanta Fed is jacking up its um, expectation for uh, GDP. So I would expect some additional carnage in the stock market follow through as a result of, of what happened today. Also, we got some more bad news, right? Which, you know, good news is bad news that came out today in industrial production. Because industrial production jumped up 1%, and I think this number was part of that Atlanta Fed. I think they take into account the, the numbers that came out earlier in the day, but it was supposed to rise by 0.3. Now, the prior month you know, was revised down. It was initially minus 0.5, and they remind, revised it to minus 0.8, so it wasn't as big an upward uh, number when you factor in revision, but it was still more than expected. And it's showing a rebound. But again, I don't think this really evidences anything strong with the economy because, again, it's not adjusted for inflation. Prices are going up. So you would expect these numbers to go up because the prices of the stuff they're producing is going up. And so it's it's not they're not measuring quantity. It's the aggregate dollar value of what's being produced. So if prices are going up, then obviously these numbers are going to go up and that's skewing it. Capacity utilization, though, also inched up from 79.1 to 79.3. And we also got yesterday some stronger than expected numbers on retail sales. Again, the consumer. That factored in to these upper revisions. They were looking for an increase of 0.4. This is July. And the number came out at up 0.7. And there was even a slight upward revision to the prior month from up 0.2 to up Point three, even X gasoline and and automobiles, or first just X autos, it was up one percent. You know, um, it was 0.7, I might have bat- got that backwards. 0.7 was the retail sales up one percent. Was X autos, uh, and that was versus expectations of up point four. Uh, and uh, same thing with X oils, X gas up one percent. Uh, versus up 0.4, and the 0.3 from the prior month was revised up 0.4. So that was also stronger data. Wall Street, remember, Wall Street wants weaker data. That's the Goldilocks scenario that they're counting on. Because, again, the one thing Wall Street has got right is that they know that rates have to come down because nobody can pay these rates for any extended period of time. Five and a quarter, five and a half is tolerable if it's only for a year or so. But if you're going to have to do that for dur- the duration, well, then it can't be afforded, especially at the government level. If you start imagining the interest burden of the entire national debt rolling over and having to be refinanced at a five handle, let alone a six handle or a seven handle or something like that. But it wasn't all you know positive data on the week. Yesterday's Empire State Manufacturing uh, number was horrible. They were looking for um, minus 0.4. This is for August. And it came out at minus 19. (laughs) So a huge beat. Uh, And if you look beneath the surface of that report, it really was stagflation because not only was manufacturing down production, but everything, the costs were going way up again. So prices up, production down again, uh, fewer goods. But they're more expensive. So this was an inflationary, stagflationary number. Uh, but again, it's kind of get it lost now in the sauce with all this other stuff that is going on that seems to be uh this seems to be more important uh uh than than that weak number. But it's more the Fed's outlook. Because again, everybody just cares uh what these guys think. And if they're scared of inflation, which they should be, they should be a lot more afraid of it than what they're publicly admitting. Uh, But this, again, is a game changer for the markets. And the markets were already skating on thin ice. The markets were already ignoring all sorts of bad news and shrugging it off because I guess they were looking for these rate cuts to bail them out. Well, maybe the bailout isn't going to come as soon as they think. And the stock market potentially still has a long way to drop uh, to uh, catch up to the bond market. Anyway, we got another commercial break. We'll be right back. So don't go anywhere. Speaking about gold, I know a lot of people are getting frustrated. A lot of people who own gold uh, are looking at, again, back below 1900. uh, People who own the mining stocks. Yep, here we go again. Another pullback in these stocks. They're not making new lows or anything. They're just right in their range. But what's frustrating is that they still haven't rallied, right? So much has happened that should have made gold rally and the gold stocks, and it hasn't. And people are really questioning whether or not they should stay in these trades because they're like, look, when are they going to go up? If they haven't gone up now, when are they going to go up? And it, you know, it's a valid question to ask, and I don't know exactly when, but I'm not going to give up on the trade. I think the longer it takes for gold to react, the bigger the reaction is going to be. So I'm patient because I think my patience is going to be rewarded. I think I'm going to make more money the longer I wait. Now, obviously, there's a limit to how long I can wait. I mean, I'm 60 years old, right? I can't wait forever. <laughs> but I've already waited, uh, uh, you know, a long time. Uh, and, and but I, I I really don't think we 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 can't go on for many more years. You know, it's just it's just the numbers at this point are just so astronomically big. And again. The only thing that's keeping gold from exploding is this idea that the Fed's going to succeed in creating, uh, bringing inflation back to 2% and a soft landing. They're not going to do either, but they have to do both. But the markets are confident that the Fed is going to pull this off. It's not going to happen. The markets are completely wrong. And so gold is priced for something that is not going to happen. (laughs) And the gold stocks are priced for something that is not going to happen. Look, think about this. Let's say inflation does come back down or we have a soft, you know, when the economy goes into recession, inflation comes down. The Fed's going to be cutting rates, right? The budget deficits are going to be getting bigger. They're going to go back to QE. That's bullish for gold, right? That, that I mean, even if inflation comes down with a weak economy, that's bullish for gold. But if inflation goes up, that's bullish for gold too, as long as the Fed stops fighting it. Which eventually they have to do because if inflation keeps going up, the economy is going to collapse because the Fed can't keep raising rates. It's like a game of chicken. At some point, the rate hikes are too much for this overly indebted economy to bear, right? We are all levered to the max, right? It, it can't happen. The Fed is in a no win position. And when the Fed can't win, gold can't lose. That's the point. So if you want to bet on, on something that can't lose, it's, it's got to be gold. I mean, there are no guarantees in life, right? I can't guarantee anything. But I mean, as far as the closest you're going to get, I don't see a scenario where gold doesn't go up. That doesn't mean it can't go down first. Uh, and, and I think if gold goes way up, the gold miners will go up even more. So I want to have a bet. I want to have a big bet on that outcome because I think the payoff is really skewed. I mean, even if somehow I've read this wrong, and I lose money, uh, I think those losses are small in comparison to how much I can make if I'm right. But that's the nature of speculation, and you just don't speculate with more than than you could lose. That's you know that's that's how it is. Yeah, you can't put money you can't afford to lose into the mining stocks, but if you have money you can afford to lose, and you're willing to risk losing it to make a lot of money, then you got to do it. I think it's the best risk reward trade. For my money, that's out there. That's why I got so much of my own money in it. So if you want to buy more gold, gold and silver, call up Shift Gold, right, and and talk to the the guys there. I mean, it's a great time. I think the premiums have come down now too a bit. Uh, you know, because sometimes you know you wait for gold to go up. It's it's hard because not only does the price of gold go up, but the premiums on the coins you want to buy go up too, right? So if you're trying to buy at the same time everybody else is buying. You know, you end up paying a lot more. So it's a little quiet right now. It's a good time to buy, right? A lull before the storm. So try to pick up some gold and silver. Go to, you know, at shiftgold.com. And if you want to do a more leverage bet, buy some more of these mining stocks. You know, call the brokers at Europe Pacific Asset Management. You know, look up the Europe the Euro Pacific Gold Fund uh, or set up one of the managed accounts. You know, we have we have a gold-based managed account that Adrian Day manages for us at your Pacific Asset Management, all kinds of junior mining stocks. Get them while they're cheap. You know, Get them while people are dumb enough to sell them. So any kind of weakness, and I think this is a little short-term weakness, that's when you want to be a buyer, right? You want to take advantage of the selling to top up your positions if you have positions, establish positions if you don't have them. Uh, and even all my other strategies, like my value strategy, still incorporates an allocation Towards gold, but you know the dollar's gone up a bit. Stocks have come down. I think stocks have a little bit more room to fall here. So, but that's a good thing if you're a buyer. But the gold stocks could turn on a dime any minute. I mean, that's the thing. You know, every night I go to bed, I don't know if that's the night I'm going to wake up and gold will have exploded. Because one day, that's going to happen. You know, you don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, but I sleep much sounder knowing that 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 I've got this position on. I wouldn't want to to uh, to go to sleep, uh, not being confident. You know, I, I don't have confidence in the dollar. I don't have confidence in a lot of things, but I I have confidence uh, in, in in real money, and, and so I sleep sounder because uh, because I've got it. So uh, shift gold for physical gold and your Pacific Asset Management, your Pacific Capital, uh, if you want to get positions in 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 the mining stocks, but. What I, I do know is you got you can't hold a bunch of dollars, even though the yields have gone up. Now you can get five and a quarter, five and a half on a money market. It's tempting to think, oh, that's a good return. You have to realize that it's being undermined by inflation. And that inflation rate is going to accelerate much quicker than people think. And so all of a sudden, all that interest that you earn gets wiped out uh, by, by the inflation tax. So to avoid that tax, you have to avoid the currency that is being inflated, which is the dollar. And, you know, speaking about inflation, I, I just was watching. And I wish I, because I, I, I can't tell you guys, you know, where to watch this interview. It was on YouTube. You could probably Google it. But some reporter, and I think I found out about it. Maybe somebody tweeted out the clip. But a reporter was asking Jerome Powell. Why 2% inflation? Like, like, where'd you get that number, right? Why why two, right? Why not one and a half or two and a half, right? What's so magical about two? It's a legitimate question, right? Because we need 2%, 2 percent's our target. Okay, you know, where'd you get that target, right? Because it, you know, there is no official, it's not, there's nothing in the Federal Reserve's, like, charter that says that we need 2% inflation. They have a mandate of price stability, uh, and uh, maximum employment, but it doesn't say two percent inflation. In fact, two percent inflation to me is can't be defined as price stability, because stable means remaining the same, right, it, from year to year. So if your goal is price stability, and prices go up two percent a year, that's not stable. Now you could say it's a stable increase in that the increase is consistent and predictable. But if something is going up every single year, you can't define that as stable. Stable would be remaining the same. So clearly the Fed was not created to engineer a 2% inflation rate. So why are they doing it? Where did it come from and why two, right? Why not some other number? And the funny thing about it was Powell had no answer. That was hysterical. So Powell's answer was, well, Central bankers around the world just agreed that 2% was the number. And, and so the reporter said, well, well why? <laughs> and he basically said, well, because they did. We just all decided to agree, even though he wasn't part of the agreement, because supposedly that global agreement around 2%, he said, well, that's just the number that everybody decided is the number they're going to use. But why are they using it? right? What What's so special about it? He couldn't come up with a reason that 2% was good. I mean, why is it good? I mean, it's like, well, one and a half is 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 too low and, and two and a quarter is too high. I mean, what is the reason? Why is an economy with 2% inflation, why is that inherently better than an economy with one and a half percent inflation? I mean, if 2% is good, why is it one and a half better? Now, is he gonna argue, well, that's not enough? That's not a big enough increase in the cost of living. Well, why not? Well, what about one and three? What about one and three quarters? Is that enough? No, no, it's gotta be two. Well, what about two point two and a quarter? Oh no, that's way too much. Two and a quarter would be too high. But how do you know? They can't know. They don't know anything. You know, two percent isn't even really the target. It's all BS. It's only because they were below two percent that they started claiming it was a target. That's why. They had all these central banks that had inflation below 2%. And they wanted to justify printing a bunch of money. They wanted to stimulate the economy or they wanted to bail out governments. They wanted to monetize their debt. And so they came up with this idea that there's a 2% inflation target because they were below it. That's the only reason that that was the target because they were lower than two. And they said, oh, this gives us carte blanche to try to push up the inflation rate because we've now claimed that there's a target of two. And in order to justify that target, they had to make up this BS that it was somehow better for the economy if the inflation rate was 2% than if it was one5 But I kept pointing out the absurdity of such a contention, especially when Powell said we need to have inflation averaging. We now need to go back and make up for all the years that inflation was below 2%, but we have to have it above 2%. That the, who, who wants to make up for the fact that prices didn't go up more in the past. Because one of the justifications for you know the the BS about why we need two percent is they kept saying the worst thing that can happen to us is that prices go down. Right. We we can't have deflation. We can't have falling prices. That that would be a disaster when that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants lower prices. There's that's why they have sales, right? When there's a sale, they lower the price. Nobody says, hey, let's raise prices and you know and expects people to come rushing in. Hey, that 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 store is raising their prices. Let's quickly go and buy. No, it's, hey, we got a we got a 20% off sale. Got a 50% off sale. That's designed to get people to buy because they want to buy lower. They want to buy cheaper. The lower the price, the more you can afford. Falling prices are always good. It's always it's BS. Uh, but they came up with this idea that we can't risk deflation, so we have to have a buffer. Okay, well, if we had three or four years of 1.5% inflation, that means we avoided deflation. Right. We dodged that bullet. Why do we have to have even higher inflation now to make up for the fact that we didn't have deflation in the past? We don't need it. But it was all B.S. They just had to come up with with more excuses. Look, I I will tell you the reason or where this two percent came from. I know I've mentioned it before on past podcasts, but I know I get some new listeners, so not everybody has heard the explanation. But here's where it comes from, because obviously Ben Bernanke, I mean, uh, Jerome Powell. Didn't know because he could have given this answer, but he doesn't even know. He's the head of a central bank and he has no idea where this 2% came from, right? Because he just says, well, we all just agreed. <laughs> like they had a big meeting. Here's what happened. New Zealand, which had very high inflation for many, many years because they were very socialist. They had a crisis. They had a fiscal crisis. They had a you know, big economic collapse. And so they they brought in a lot of free market reforms, which cut government spending, and they privatized a lot of uh, government-run uh, uh, businesses. Right, and it was great. Uh, New Zealand went through an economic renaissance, and and I invested a lot of money. I remember I was a big fan of New Zealand for many years. Um, and, and one of the things that they did is they said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna have a two percent inflation ceiling, a ceiling, not a target a ceiling. Inflation needs to be below 2%. And this was the first central bank to have an official target. Everybody else talked about, well, price stability. Well, New Zealand actually said, we want stable prices, but we want to make sure that inflation stays below 2%. So if it ever gets to 2%, Reserve Bank of New Zealand, you got to do something. You got to keep inflation below 2% because if it's above 2%, you failed at your job, right? So they didn't want to get to 2%. They actually wanted to stay as far away from 2% as possible. The further below 2%, the better, because that meant they didn't have to do anything, right? As the rate got close to 2%, they'd have to start cutting. I mean, tightening policy because it was going to be too close to, 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 the, to the ceiling, right? It's a ceiling. A ceiling means you stay below it, right? That's the whole purpose of a ceiling, to be beneath it. You don't want to be stuck to the ceiling, right? You want to be as far below it as you can, so you have some leeway, right? And if prices went down, that wouldn't have been a problem. That would have been great. Oh, great. Prices fell. Good news, right? Job well done. That's where it came from. When the ceiling became a target, (laughs) again, it was only because we were below it. That's all. And in fact, I was making a lot of fun, particularly of Mario Draghi, when inflation in the Eurozone was like one and a half percent. And he was saying, it's not enough. We need to be close to, but under two, right? Their their target was not 2%. It was close to two, but under two. That's even more absurd than two. So according to the ECB, two is too much, but 1.99 is perfect. That's how precise these guys were. And, you know, it's, which is nonsense to believe that you have that kind of precision. Anyway, I mean, what kind of arrogance? Do you have to have to actually believe you can fine tune the inflation rate to the point where you can get 1.99, and then to actually think that that's somehow better than 1.98, right? But 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 um, Draghi was saying we need more inflation; it's not high enough. And what was I saying back then? Not only was I calling him out for his BS. I said, what is he going to do? He's trying to notch inflation up from one and a half to 1.9, right? And They're printing all this money, doing this massive QE. They're holding interest rates at negative, all because they think the cost of living is not going up enough, that the poor Europeans are stuck with a 1.5% inflation rate when they deserve 1.99. And we're going to do all this reckless stuff to deliver a higher increase in the cost of living, because that's what people want. That's the big problem in the Eurozone. Prices aren't rising fast enough. That's the problem. That's the problem. Of all the problems they have in Europe, the one they wanted to solve was that stuff wasn't getting more expensive quicker. And they were going to solve that problem. So I kept saying, okay, what happens if you're trying to go from 1.5 to 1.9 and you overshoot? And what if you end up at 5 or 6 or 7? Then what are you going to do? Because now you're way over. You're not just under by a little bit. You're over by a mile. Why risk it? Well, you know why they risked it? Because they didn't give a damn because it was all BS. They just wanted to delay the day of reckoning. They didn't want the politicians in the Eurozone to have to cut government spending and be honest with the people. So they made up this cock and bull theory about inflation targets of 2% just because they could justify the money printing because they were below 2%. And they didn't give a damn about what happened in the future because they never care about the future, except now, you know, the future's here. Uh, and now they're dealing with inflation that's way above That um, that that two percent target. Anyway, I want to finish up the podcast, though, by talking about uh, politics again, because since my last podcast, which I did. What on on Sunday? Donald Trump has been indicted yet again for the fourth time. You know, I even joked about that. On my last podcast, when I talked about his third indictment, I said, you know, whenever there's some more bad news that comes out at Hunter, there's just going to be another indictment uh, of Trump. And of course, that's exactly what happened. You get more bad news out of the Bidens and they pull out another indictment a- against Trump. Now that's four. I mean, I don't know if he's looking at a thousand years in jail or something like that on all these on all these charges. But this one is the state of Georgia that has now indicted Trump and about 15 or 16 other people, including his chief of staff. I mean, Rudy Giuliani, I forget who else, you know, there's a big, long name of people. And this is all about challenging the results of the Georgia election, which he's allowed to do. I mean, it's hard to think of a close election that wasn't contested. I mean, you're a fool if you don't contest the results of an election, because maybe you'll win. I mean, what else you got to lose? You invest all this time and money in a campaign. And now we have one election and it's over and you lose by I don't know how many votes. I mean, but you don't get to You know, ask, demand a recount, have inquiries. I mean, if I was a donor, if I donated to a campaign, if I worked hard as a volunteer, I wouldn't expect my guy to just say, OK, no, you know, do what you can to uh, question the outcome and, you know, take another bite at the apple. Right. Maybe 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 there was something wrong. Maybe you could you can snatch uh, victory out of the jaws of defeat. There's nothing wrong with this. All of a sudden, it's criminal because it was Donald Trump. But what really, you know, makes me mad about this is that they they're they're indicting him under the RICO statues, racketeering. This, this, these laws, these, these RICO laws have been so abused by the government. Again, this is another example of that camel's nose under the tent, right? You never want to let the camel's nose in your tent, right? I mean, although I don't have much experience, I'll just trust uh, the Arabs on this one. Uh, but you don't want to let the camel's nose into the tent because the next thing you know, the entire camel's in there, right? So you know, you, 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 you got to be firm with your camels. Same thing with politicians, right? Don't give them an inch. They'll take a mile. They took this RICO statue that was designed to get the mafia. right? That, that's why it was there. So the politicians go to the voters. Hey, give us these laws because we got to get, you know, we got to get, you know, Don Caglione, right? We got to get these real bad guys that are running organized crime. So we got to get these RICO statues, right? and then they end up using them against everybody right they end up finding all sorts of ways that they don't even apply to their original intent and then they get this so they they've indicted donald trump and all these guys for racketeering it's like they're the mob which the ultimate irony of it is we've got an organized crime family in the white house right now the bidens you know and, you know and 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 don you know, Biden, Joe Biden, the big guy, right, is, is is running this whole crime family. And part of the crime is arresting his political opponents on these trumped up charges uh, of um, racketeering. And I mean, I, I said on my last podcast, if he gets convicted of any of this stuff, there's no way a Supreme Court is going to allow this to stand. It is such a perversion of the judicial system to politi- to to politicize the judiciary in this way i mean you actually have kind of a conspiracy uh in the democrats to indict trump on something i mean you think this is you know a coincidence that he's been indicted now four times for in for contesting the results of an election again trump conceded defeat he walked out of office he didn't try to you know call up the military. hey I'm commander-in-chief, let's not let Biden you know uh, uh, come here you know I'm gonna have a military coup. No he did what all these uh, uh, candidates who have lost Hillary Clinton how long did Hillary Clinton claim that Donald Trump stole the election? It wasn't fair Russian collusion, you know Al Gore, how long did it take Al Gore to concede to to Bush? I mean, you know, and it's not just, they've had contested elections. Go back to Nixon-Kennedy. I mean, the losers question the results. And again, as I said on the last podcast, Donald Trump's got a big ego, right? We all know that, right? (laughs) Now, he lost the election. Well, in his mind, how could somebody so good, how could the greatest president in the history of the world, because according to Trump, that's him, right? I'm the greatest president ever, loved by everybody, right? How can the greatest president ever, who presided over the biggest economic boom ever, who got more votes than any other presidential candidate ever, how can that person lose? There's only one way in Trump's mind that he lost. The other guy cheated, of course. So yes, he believed he won the election, whether he was right or wrong. And again, I mentioned on my last podcast, there's ample evidence of all kinds of cheating, at a minimum, the collusion between the media and the Democrats to bury all the evidence of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden's criminal conduct. Had the media honestly reported that, there's no doubt in my mind Trump would have won. So is that cheating? Yeah, I think it is, uh, you know, but whatever. But this, with, with, with Trump and all, all these people, these 16 people, they're all organized criminals, right? They They all need to be Uh, Busted for racketeering? Give me a break. And the, the, the funniest thing about this, though, which would almost be comical to watch it happen, would be what if Trump were to be elected president and convicted of this crime? Because if he's convicted of a federal crime, he can probably pardon himself, right? I mean, the president can pardon you. I mean, There's never been a president who has pardoned themselves. So we don't really know if there'd be a legal challenge to somebody pardoning themselves. But there's nothing that says you can't pardon yourself, right? So we don't know. It's untested. But, I I mean, if I was Trump and I was president, I would pardon myself, right? So we'll see. I mean, there's nothing in the Constitution that says you can't do it. But we know that the federal government, the president, can only pardon people who are in federal prisons, having been convicted of federal crimes. The president does not have the authority to pardon somebody who's in state prison, who is convicted of a state crime. That is usually something reserved to the governor of that state or maybe some parole board or some other authority that has the right to pardon. But it's the state that imprisons people that has the right To pardon. The federal government can't come in and say, hey, this state prisoner, we're going to usurp the state authority and we're going to let loose this guy that you or gal that you put in jail. Can't do that. The federal the president who's the head of the federal government can say, Hey, we're gonna, I'm gonna release this federal prisoner, but he has no authority to release a state prisoner. So what happens if Donald Trump becomes the next president of the United States and he gets convicted and has to go to jail? Is he gonna preside over the country? run the federal government from a Georgia prison is that what he's gonna do I mean I don't know you know there there's nothing that says the president has to live in the White House right that's not in the Constitution in fact when the Constitution was ratified there was no White House right that came that came after the fact so could the president could his office be in a penitentiary I guess you're gonna bring all the Secret service down there you're gonna bring you know that cabinet I mean I mean just wanting to see what would happen people might vote for Trump, just to see that whole thing play out it would be entertaining to see how it would operate because it seems every time they indict him again i think i think he gains in in popularity but again what i'm more concerned about is the precedent that we are setting i mean we are we keep hitting consecutive new lows as a nation as a society to sit back and allow this to happen and what's really bothering me is that let's say the left the people who support Joe Biden and who don't like Donald Trump are saying nothing about this. Look, if this was a Republican uh, uh, president and Republicans, you know, in government, indicting a Democrat, I would be saying the exact same thing that I'm saying now. Again, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm more a libertarian than I am a Republican, but you need to be critical of wrongs even if the wrongs are being uh, committed against somebody that you don't like. Because here is the principle, again, it's like free speech. Why do you have to protect speech that you don't like? Well, first of all, that's the most important speech, right? The speech uh, uh, that is controversial, the speech that actually uh, you know hurts people's feelings, that, that's what really needs to be protected, right? If you're just gonna go out and talk and say nice things about everybody, and say non-controversial things. Well, you don't need freedom of speech to do that. Anybody could do that. Anybody could just walk around kissing ass, I mean, saying what everybody wants to hear. Nobody's gonna stop you from doing that. Where your freedom of speech is important is where you wanna say things that piss people off, where you wanna say things that are controversial, where you wanna say things that'll hurt people's feelings. That's the speech that needs to be protected. And the key is if you don't protect that speech, then the other speech that you like, well, eventually that'll be illegal too. That That's the problem, right? You got to do it. So if the government is breaking the law to go after people you don't like and you don't hold that government accountable, you don't stand up and protest when the law is being broken just because you don't care about the person who's suffering the consequences, the next thing you know, it's going to happen to you, right? That same government. Can turn on you. Remember, a government big enough to give you everything you want is a government big enough to take from you everything you have. You've got to remember that you can't empower the government. Again, it's just like, look, with the income tax, why do we have an income tax? Because the voters, right, back in 1913 bought the nonsense that it was just for the rich, right? The government said, hey, we're going to tax Rockefeller and Carnegie and Vanderbilt. Those rich guys, they can afford paying a couple of percent two three percent of their income and we're going to lower tax on everybody else we're going to get rid of all the tariffs and we're gonna run the government just on the rich <laughs> well let's see yeah that backfired right I mean look at all the middle class people that are struggling to pay income taxes that were supposedly only going to fall on the super rich that's why again they're doing the same nonsense today they're claiming they want to tax the millionaires and the billionaires and if you allow them to do that the it's actually going to fall on you just like all these IRS agents they're hiring again Why do we need all these IRS agents? Oh, because they're they're just going to sick them on the rich. Don't worry. They're not going to bother you. We're just going to go after Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and and Zuckerberg and Musk. They're going to leave you guys alone. Yeah, right. The main target of all these IRS agents is going to be the middle class. Anyway, that's it for today's podcast. So don't forget, uh, I'm going to do another one, I think, on Sunday and sign up at shiftradio.com slash premium to participate in the Q&A. Bye for now.